Yeah, you know, I would say it might surprise people to hear, but I hope people can understand. Like, we had a increased level of trust and affection after that because it was something we like talked about and felt good about and were able to replicate successfully. I think that it's counterintuitive. Some people fear that like if they explore that path, that like there will be more jealousy and concern, but we've kind of experienced the exact opposite. They're like, I know what's on his mind all the time. Like he can feel free to vocalize his feelings. I can, even before we had that first encounter, I remember one time we went to some improv show and there was this like very uh, gorgeous redheaded man on stage. And he was like, I feel secure enough in our relationship. That I can tell you, I think he is very attractive. And, like that was it. It didn't go any further than that. But like, I, very much smiled when he said that because I was like, I do feel very secure. I do feel uh, the trust and the love. So, Welcome to Normalizing Non-Monogamy, the podcast where we interview incredible people from across the entire spectrum of non-monogamy to hear their fascinating stories. We strive to bring guests on the show who have a healthy approach to non-monogamy. However, it's important to remember that everyone does it a little bit differently and the views and opinions expressed by our guests do not necessarily reflect our own. Additionally, we produce this show for entertainment purposes only. Please be aware that we aren't doctors or therapists. Consult a medical professional for anything regarding your health that you might learn about on the show. Enjoy! Well, welcome to episode 293. We're Finn and Emma, and today we have a super fun interview with Frank. We cover a wide range of topics in this interview, but mostly really touch on Frank's approach to non-monogamy with his partner, Matt. Yeah, I think one of the things I love about this conversation is, well, I'm going to use the word conversation again, that that everything (laughs) between these two is a conversation. Sure, they have their preferences, but everything is sort of open for discussion, and they and we just touch on some really amazing points around boundaries boundaries yeah communicating your boundaries and your bandwidth and your capacity to your partner your multiple partners to anybody who comes into your orbit as well as some really vulnerable conversations around the reality and challenges of exploring non-monogamy but as emma said this is a super fun conversation we laugh a ton with frank (laughs) and we're, we're so grateful to him for coming on for his upbeat spirit and sense of humor and I love his laugh. Yes. Just, just going to say that yes. out here. And also a huge amount of gratitude to Frank for the work he's doing on the Writers Guild strike. So one of the things that Frank's going to talk about just for a minute at the beginning is the strike that is currently ongoing because Frank is a producer, an actor, a writer. He works in the entertainment biz. He does. Frank is the creator of a series called Open To It which he will talk about in this episode. And we highly, highly, highly recommend you go check it out using the links in the show notes. Yeah, it's it's a super fun series. Uh, the first three episodes are out. Mm-hmm. And he's also got links on his website to help raise funds to produce the last few and keep pumping them out. So yes. we're, we're super excited about this. Again, it's a fun mini series or web series and you'll, you'll have a good time. It's amazing. You definitely go check it out. So links are in the podcast player show notes over at normalizingnonmonogamy.com. And for anybody who is a premium subscriber, we are going to jump right into the conversation right now. And for the rest of you, we have a couple of quick announcements, some really fun, exciting stuff coming up. And here we go. First up, if you're not familiar with the premium subscription, it's a way to skip these announcements up front and jump right into the interview for as little as a couple dollars a year. To join, go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com, scroll down on the homepage, and you can sign up right there. Next up, 
our virtual community, which is approaching 300 members strong. And we're, yes, we are super, super pumped about that, as you can tell by my <laughs> wild enthusiasm. <laughs> yeah. This is this is the place that Emma and I hang out and so do the other 300 people to support each other, love each other. We share fun stories. We share serious stuff, stuff we're working through. We also share some sexiness. We do. We just we love this community, and we're super grateful to everybody who is a part of it. Thank you all. If you are out there looking for your people, your community, check it out. Head over to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com. Click on the community tab, and you'll see a link there that you can fill out the short application and join for as little as $5 a month. Another thing we are really excited about is that we are adding more weekly peer support groups. So Finn has been leading a weekly men's support group since last fall, and it's gone really, really, really well. So we're adding a women's uh, peer support group, a weekly version, and we're also adding uh, hopefully a gender inclusive group as well. We're And another men's group. And another men's group as well, as long as we can get enough interest. So go to our website, as Finn said, click on the community tab and you'll see a drop down for the weekly groups and you can find out more information there and sign up and show that you're interested. Yeah, the, the sign up form there is basically a form to let us know you're interested. We'll reach back out to you, get you more information. So clicking that or signing up, you're not going to get charged anything other than uh, getting an email from us. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, but we would love for you to join those groups. We're super excited about them, and we're just launching launching them this month and getting them off the ground. Yeah, we, we've been talking about them for the past couple of weeks, and if you go back and listen a few episodes ago, I read sort of a testimonial from one of the guys who's part of the weekly men's group, and I would just say for myself, this group has been transformational in many, many ways, and I'm so very grateful for this. So thank you to all of you who are a part of that group, and Thank you to all of you who are going to be part of the future groups. Yes. Last but definitely not, definitely, definitely not least, no. if I can say that word. You can. You, you did a good job <laughs> of saying that word. Don't forget to get informed about your sexual health status as you're out there meeting and greeting people this summer. Our favorite way to do that is ST dcheck.com. I always say it so fast. Finn slows me down every time. So. <laughs> ST tdcheck.com. There we go. <laughs> that is how Emma and I get tested for STIs. I wish the name was sticheck.com. I, I know. <laughs> Nevertheless, stdcheck.com is an awesome, wonderful site. It is super fast. It is super easy. And it is affordable. When you use the links on our website over at normalizingnonmonogamy.com under the resources tab or on the podcast player show notes, you get to save $10. You also help support the podcast financially, which is amazing. But that $10 savings brings your 10-panel test down to $129, Yep, which is an incredible deal. It's super convenient. Again, we wouldn't be telling you about it if we didn't use it. Emma is so excited she can't even get the name out fast enough. <laughs> I see you check it out. There you go. Again, <laughs> links are in our uh, show notes of your podcast player or under the podcast tab on our website where you can find show notes to all of our previous guests, including today with photos, links to everything we talked about. And somewhere on there, you'll also find a button to contact us. Reach out to us, send us a voicemail, send us an email. We'd love to hear from you if you'd like to be a guest on the podcast or if you have any comments, questions, thoughts, we'd also love to hear from you. We would. And until we talk to you in the outro, let's go talk to Frank for an hour or so. Let's go. 
Well, welcome to the podcast, Frank. We're excited to talk to you today. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you. The pleasure is all yours. <laughs> yeah, it is. I, I can't say that enough. Um, <laughs> That's what you do. The pleasure is all yours. That's right. right. That's right. Well, and you know what? I think maybe right at the beginning, I will just say, uh, it's sort of in solidarity of what you're working on, thank you for taking time out of the Writers Guild strike to to talk to us because yes. we you, you kind of shared that's why you aren't as pasty white as we are because you've been <laughs> out in the sun. <laughs> yes, I've very much been uh, picketing a few hours uh, every day. And, you know, yeah, it's a weird time in Hollywood because I'm uh, very proud of being a writer and what I've worked on, but I don't feel like we're getting our fair shake by the studios. This is turning very public service announcement. Anyway, all I'm saying is support artists. That's it. Um, <laughs> they're good people and we give you sexy, silly things. Hey, we we brought it up, so we are happy to give you the platform to to give a little public service announcement to anybody who doesn't know what's going on, because we are underinformed as well. And so, thank you for for the work you're doing and for being here. Yes, yes. yes. If you love uh, open to it and what we talk about today, the Entertainment Community Fund is helping people who are not working during the writer's strike, formerly the Actor Fund. So, look into that if you if you have extra dollars after you spend some dollars on normalizing on. <laughs> Split, split your dollars up. It's okay. And, and we'll, put, we'll put links to that in the show notes to make sure everybody can find it easily. And maybe let's jump in and have you introduce yourself, Frank, so we can all get to know you a little better before we dig into all your relationship gossip. Ah, perfect. Yeah. So my name's uh, Frank Arthur Smith. Um, added the middle name once I started uh, doing this show, actually. I was like, I got to be a triple name, triple hyphen, that kind of thing. Um, I, <laughs> I love it. Yeah. I am a writer, actor, director, um, and I've been producing this series called Open To It for the past year and a half. It's a comedy series about a couple that's experimenting with being open and the silly, sexy situations that arise. So yeah, we have nine episodes edited. Three are out in the world right now. More should be coming out later in the year, perhaps during Pride Month. Who's to say? So stay tuned. Who's to Yeah, who, who could possibly have control over that? No one right. knows. <laughs> So, <laughs> yeah, the gay fates will decide. Yeah, <laughs> I love it. Well, the the we've we've watched the first two. We're working on the third one, but they're amazing and it's just fun. it's it's a fun show to watch. So, um, and links will be in the show notes for anyone listening. Yeah, absolutely. Well, maybe take us back. Well, first take us into your relationship ecosystem, Frank. What is What do things look like for you? Today. I, the, the name open to it implies maybe you're open in some ways, but what does that look like for you today? Yeah, so my fiance and I, we are very codependent. So what usually ends up happening is like we will, we have like friends together whom we see uh, in a, you know, warm, romantic, sexual capacity and you, we kind of, our main rule is like, we don't do things away from each other. Like when we could spend time together, we always want to prioritize time together. So I'm not going to be like, well, I'm off on a date. See ya. Um, and it's not to say like the, you know, if we met someone delightful from Israel, which actually happened, um, but that couldn't happen. <laughs> but like, uh, generally speaking, we always want to be doing things together, except like, so when we're out of town is the only time we typically like meet people without each other. Okay. So it's a bit, it's sort of, uh, this is the, the preference, but we will, we'll bend outside of that if, if the mood sort of suits and, or the circumstances require. Well, it's always a, in a conversation, right? Yeah. It's an opportunity to have that conversation. If something like that arises, it sounds like. 
Absolutely. Actually, since you yeah brought up the term ecosystem, I would say like our ecosystem is like constantly evolving, you know, like where we do reevaluate and recontextualize and discuss often. Um, as your listeners will be able to tell if they have not already, I'm a very talkative person. So I <laughs> definitely believe in like just being pretty open in your um, communication as well as your relationship. <laughs> I love it. Well, then let's let's go back to the beginning of the ecosystem that you and your fiance created. And how, how did how did non-monogamy come into that? Had, had either of you ever explored or experienced that before you two came together? Randomly is the answer. And I will, you know, I actually I haven't I don't think said this on a podcast yet, like, cause I'm just thinking of it now that my first foray into non-monogamy was being invited quite a bit and saying no a lot in college. Um, twofold reason. One, I was being invited into male, female couples and I did identify as bisexual at the time, but like, it was definitely the sort of thing where I was usually more attracted to the male partner. And I was like, Oh, this is going to be a little weird. Um, and then it always seemed like a couple on the brink of collapse, which is absolutely not all polyamorous couples. It's just in college. That was the permutation I was experiencing quite a bit. So I never ended up saying yes to any of them. And in my private fantasies, I remember distinctly, uh, I did think the two main spies in bird notice were gorgeous and had a few like you know moments to myself where I was like that could be fun the both of them uh but otherwise nothing phys- physical nothing actualized until my fiance and I like one year into our relationship we ran into an old friend of his whom to this day he does not remember how they met um and I've pressed both of them on this it's not a story they literally don't uh but uh <laughs> he was being very flirty with us and we both kind of like were in the moment we're like you know let's just uh, da, 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 da. um and then it was a lot of fun and we kind of were like oh that could be the sort of thing that like happens every now and then. And as the years have gone by, I would say like, that's like most often what would happen where we would like meet someone out or like maybe meet someone on an app and then hang out with them. But now I would say we have more like in the series of our life recurring players. And that's been more, that's been more fun and you know affirming for me personally like at matt and i we joke like we like to be wooed we like to be romanced and i think like one-offs like there's something that can be really hot and exciting about it but then also mm-hmm. ephemeral and uh you know sometimes disappointing but um <laughs> with people that you have an ongoing relationship with like you get to know one another you get to be vulnerable like one of the people we've been seeing like just recently we had a really close heart to heart discussion when he came over and I like texted him after and was like, I really appreciate that we're able to connect on that level now and don't feel like we have to hide ourselves from each other. And he was like, me too. I think that makes it more fulfilling ultimately that we get to like be real and open with one another in that capacity and not just like, Hey, here's hot sex me right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm curious real quick. How long have you and your fiance been together? Eight years. Eight years. Okay. Just trying to like give some time, time, bounds i guess yeah um and i want to yeah, jump so into eight what years you in you'll all figure it out perfectly <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. like you have all the answers and <laughs> i'm excited to dig into some of the things you just mentioned but um like so backing up and recapping it sounds like your first experience with anything um outside of i guess with non-monogamy in any way was with your fiance and before that you had been exposed to it but not actually experienced it before lots of propositions yeah yeah absolutely it was like long time listener first time player kind of thing yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> also to your point of like well it's not all non-monog or polyamorous couples are straight but i think it's 
most college students are on the brink of disaster in their That's relationships. It. Yes, maybe, yes. Maybe not all. I don't want to paint us all. No. Or, uh, all, <laughs> all, yeah, all I mean, it comes with the territory of yeah. being that age, right? You're all trying to learn and grow and an experiment. Up. Yeah. And I think the experimentation there is, yeah. It's also interesting how many times you got proposition versus how many times I was or we were. So I don't know. You you were doing something right, Frank. I, I I, honestly, it was probably because I was so approachable and sexless that they're like, well, he can't mess us up any more than we are now. <laughs> um, no, and I should go out of my way to say, though, that like now that is very much a hill I die on when people like even when I first wrote the script for Open to it, one of my friends who read it was like, oh, I love seeing a couple at the beginning of the end like this. And I was like, that is explicitly not what the series is about. Like it is about this couple who loves each other and is staying together and is like working on it together. And they're like, well, where does the tension and comedy come from? I'm like, other people. Like that's the whole point. I have a rotating cast of people they can like go through, have sex with and be friends with what have you. It doesn't have to be that they're bickering all the time. That's just not, I don't know. I think with long running series, especially you can get into danger there if they are so constantly at each other's throats. Like one of the series I admire most is actually a drama Friday night lights, but like with, uh, Mr. And Mrs. Coach, they just, you know, they had each other's backs. They were in it together. It was them against the world. And this book, I read the seven principles for making marriage work. One of them is that of like, it's you and your partner against the world, which like, okay, if taken too literally, you become very adversarial and sheltered, (laughs) but like, I think moreover, it's like you're in it together. Yeah. 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 That's beautiful. And I think too, maybe just, Backing up to the college days as well, you had said that at that point you were identifying as bisexual, but there was mm-hmm. seemed to be a maybe you weren't exactly a three on the Kinsey scale. That there <laughs> was some some leaning, and it sounds like you've sort of moved through that. I'm just curious if you can talk a little bit about that process because I, I think it's probably a very common one to maybe I don't want to say like bisexual is the gateway to being gay because I don't believe that, but. I think sometimes it's the realization that lets somebody maybe figure out, oh, there is, I don't know, it's like a stepping stone, but that doesn't seem right either. I don't know how to, how to best describe that. And I think maybe I should stop talking yeah. about it as the straight guy. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, in a, I'm in an interesting place with it where like, I definitely identify as gay and yet like part of that is just because like my bisexuality failed. It wasn't due to like a complete lack of interest or anything like definitely with time. Okay. So to back up to it, I think like in college was when I definitely accepted those feelings and was still dating both men and women. And sometimes they dumped me in the whole same week for different reasons. And it was a whole thing. But, um, then when I, yeah. Uh, but when I moved out here to LA on Tinder, I put interested in men and women because I felt that way. And women never responded to me. Um, so I was kind of like, okay, well, I guess that's the direction I'm headed. Um, and even now, like I would say, so I would say I like, am not as often like drawn to women in the way that I was back then. But there are, listen, if Janelle Monet was like, hi, I'm Janelle, I'd be like, today, let's go. Where's the next room? (laughs) Um, So yeah, there are are fewer people and it happens less often, but I wouldn't say it's nobody. And obviously gender is such a varied, um, interesting thing in today's age in a way when in college people weren't talking about terms like non-binary and even trans was infrequently discussed. So, you know, yeah, point being, I'm open. Come say hi if you see me somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. And I think maybe just to clear my own foot in my mouth was, I, I again, I think bisexual or pansexual, right? You can, 
many, many people, that is the identity, that is their sexuality. I think maybe what it is is sometimes the the journey from being told that everybody's supposed to be hetero to realizing that maybe you're not. Sometimes it seems like the stop along there is, well, maybe I'm bisexual as you're on the way to like, maybe I'm actually not bisexual. Maybe I am, you know, gay or, or some other sexual identity. And I, so I didn't want it to seem like, Hey, bisexuality is just a stop on the, on the <laughs> tracks along the way to becoming gay. That that's not what I was trying to say. You're trying I'm, to say that bisexuality is completely valid. That's well. what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to avoid getting, I'm trying to avoid getting hate mail about this topic. So <laughs> I think we've, that's an epic ass cover and to atone for this. Yes. Uh, Finn will put out a thirst trap for his gay fans. Thank you so much. Yeah. We appreciate your sacrifice. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. Wow. <laughs> we moved right through that. <laughs> Smooth as ever, you know. Smooth That's polyamory for you. You have your. I know, <laughs> right? Right. So, so what did when when you you and Matt had this first experience and you come out of it with a with a close friend? What sort of where did that take the two of you mm-hmm. after that point? Yeah, you know, I would say. It might surprise people to hear, but I hope people can understand. Like we had a increased level of trust and affection after that because it was something we like talked about and felt good about and were able to replicate successfully. I think that it's counterintuitive. Some people fear that like if they explore that path, that like there will be more jealousy and concern. But we've kind of experienced the exact opposite. That like I know what's on his mind all the time. Like he can feel free to vocalize his feelings. I. Ken, even before we had that first encounter, I remember one time we went to some improv show and there was this like very uh, gorgeous redheaded man on stage. And he was like, I feel secure enough in our relationship. I can tell you, I think he is very attractive. Like that was it. It didn't go any further than that. But like, I very much smiled when he said that because I was like, I do feel very secure. I do feel uh, the trust and the love. So, yeah. Well, and sharing those things is, I don't know, it's, it's also demonstrating in that relationship that you do feel that you do feel trustworthy you feel safe in that relationship to share those things and it's it's beautiful too because we're all human yeah. being attracted to other humans is just a natural human thing right like <laughs> and so being able to sh- yeah go for it no god i have one friend who's more draconian about it where he says like everybody either wants to fuck other people or is lying about it so yeah there you go that's yeah <laughs> Which is, I wasn't going to quite say it that harshly, but I think the, the, you know, if you're looking at the same person and, and, you know, Matt's like, I think that person's attractive and you're like, yeah, well, no shit. Like I see them too. <laughs> right. Like, and I think sometimes it's so easy to be like, oh no, ew, no, I'm not. Att-. And you're like, yes, obviously we all are. Like yeah. sometimes it's the, the ability to be transparent and tell, you know, quote unquote, the truth is what can create that security rather than you're moving through the world being like, no, Emma has never seen another man she's attracted to in the last 15 years. And you're like, yeah, I don't think that's how the world works necessarily. And so, yeah. When she yeah. sees a man hurt, she just shuts her eyes and is like moving, moving, moving. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, just, yeah. It's like having well, the blinders it, like, on. If you're like, I don't know. Like crocodile, like move diagonally. He won't notice. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and when you're like, if you're somebody who's attracted to like, if you're pansexual or demisexual Mm -hmm. or like, 
it just attracted to human beings. Like you can't just like put on blinders and never interact with human beings. Like yeah, that's, yeah. that's never, that's never uh, yeah. going to work. Well, I think there's a natural, like, I don't know. I just appreciate people. People yeah. are beautiful. And yeah. so it's like, it doesn't, it's yeah. I think there's just that natural. It's so subjective, right? Yeah. What one person finds necessarily attractive is, is very personal. There's so many steps to it. It's like, you can see a person, you can be attracted to person, you can approach that person, you can arrange to hang out with that person, you can have a date with that person, you can have sex with that person. There's like so many steps between like seeing them, clocking them and like going through with something that sometimes I'm just like, oh, just lighten up everybody. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and two, there can be the initial like, oh, maybe I, and I just, I want to say here too, like, I feel like we're objectifying everybody and I don't, I don't think that yes. was the intention, but it was, <laughs> yes. it was more like, yeah, cause I think you can see somebody who you maybe on the initial clock are like, oh yeah, maybe they're not my, maybe not my flavor. And then you have a great conversation or you have a really strong connection that supersedes anything that was physical or anything mm-hmm. sort of superficial that came in first. So I think there is such a varied way to be attractive um in the world and it's not just physical so i thought yeah I'd throw that out there too i've experienced all of it at this point i've experienced like gorgeous people who are like everything you hope they'll be gorgeous people who it's like did no one teach you what a penis does and then there are like people who like maybe you wouldn't notice in a crowd who you have like amazing chemistry with yeah it, it, everything's possible and uh yeah it's about being open-minded and actually like having conversations with people and like yes initial attraction matters but there is a complex formula that goes into a pleasant evening with friends yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and too, you kind of shared too that, that it was maybe just the one night stands don't really do it for you or for you and Matt. And the way that you like to do it is, yeah, repeat, repeat players. Yeah. I think because it's a dice roll, like sometimes it is awesome and all the parts fit, so to speak. But other times, like, yeah, you just like, it's a combination of people are like afraid to say what they really want. You're like figuring out what they like real time. And it, and just, there's a bit of nervousness and anxiety too, that can like, you know, make it for like a less impassioned response from everybody. And yeah, here I am being like, I'm never gonna have another one night stand again. Like, no, but <laughs> um, <laughs> at least like I know, I know what my preferences are and we're like in a good spot, I think with the um, friends who we get to see a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about like the journey from that first, that first experience, like what, through your relationship, kind of like what challenges have you encountered around non-monogamy? And then on the flip side, I'm going to ask you like, what has been, um, what growth have you seen as well? But that's a lot. So start with the challenges. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah. Challenges, I would say like, um, in the early goings, like I said, I think we made it more just about like hooking up and not to say that we didn't get to know the people, but like Mm -hmm. that sort of was why we were doing it. And then meeting a few people along the way that like we maybe caught feelings for and not knowing what to do with that at first, like being like, Oh, is that something we can integrate into our relationship? Or is this a sign that like we need to press pause on these people? And even with that, I think like now I've experienced all the variations where there was someone like, I did feel like very connected to that. I didn't, I, those feelings felt a little overwhelming, but was able to stay a great friend after that. And then someone were like, the feelings were strong and we don't talk anymore. So I think, yeah, my guiding principle is always like communication predominantly with Matt, where I'm like, 
okay, here's what I'm feeling right now. And he does the same. And we like check in with each other just like to make sure we're on the same page. Because I remember like there was one guy in particular where, yeah, I said to him, I was like, I'm feeling like the feelings developing, but I've got a handle on it but I just wanted to let you know. And like, eventually the feelings ebbed and it was fine. But like, I think now where we prefer to be is just, yeah, in it, in it together and having the same level of interest. Ideally it, it takes like little steps to help with the war effort. Like I make sure that with people we're seeing together, we are all in the same text thread because I went awry a few times by like texting them, without Matt on the thread. And that was for no other reason than I didn't want to clog Matt's like, you know, inbox. But then I realized like we were par- party to, you know, things said that, like that were maybe like sweeter and more thoughtful. And Matt wasn't getting the benefit of that. And then as a result, like that relationship was growing faster than Matt's relationship with them. So like, I just, you know, yeah, try to make sure a, that we're careful to keep everyone equally participatory, but b that I think when it gets to, an uncomfortable level of feeling that like we reevaluate of like, okay, is this all right to be feeling or do we need to take a step back for a sec? Yeah. And is it at this point when, when those feelings come up, let's say the last, you know, the one you just shared, like, let's say they didn't ebb and they kept growing. Is that a place that you and Matt have navigated together? Well, then he'd be my fiance in the alternate timeline. No, um, so, <laughs> uh, it just kind of hasn't happened that way ever. I think like when it got closest to it, we like agreed to stop seeing him temporarily and then we're able to be friends with him again. So there's only been uh, a few times where I don't know. Because it, it, it's gone both directions, honestly. Sometimes we're like, I feel like, oh, I'm feeling too strongly about them. Or someone's like, they're feeling too strongly about me. And it's hard because like with any relationship, because you can be very transparent about like, here's what I have to offer. Here's how much emotional availability I have. Here's what I want out of the relationship. And there are people who will listen, but not hear that. And then kind of keep angling for more and it's too bad it's human you want as much as you can get but yeah i feel like uh i'm matt and i are very clear at setting boundaries with people and when they with us frankly but it's the people who try to push on those boundaries who don't stand the test of time yeah well and and i'm curious how in those situations where perhaps you they're they're either they're feeling more for you or it sounds like this one there was a little bit more and you were like, Hey, maybe we need to hit pause. How, how do you navigate that conversation with somebody in a way that you can come out the other side and still be friends? Cause I think that's a, that's an interesting dismount to stick. Um, it's two words. Fuck off. No, um, I think, <laughs> um, just being as honest as I can be. I think like I am someone who, you know, did speech and debate all throughout high school. So I like parse my words very carefully. And like, I go out of my way to be positive and affirming while still being clear and transparent. So sometimes it's just been that of like, obviously, I feel connected to you in that way. That's clear. I think it is counterproductive to what I want. So I do want to take a step back. I want to be friends. I value this connection. It's just like, that level is not sustainable usually less clinical than that. But as I'm explaining on a podcast, that it makes sense to say in that way. Yeah, no, I, I get that. And I think there, you know, there's sort of, 
probably multiple schools of thought here, but I think one of them is the, well, hey, if the feelings are there and they're feeling them, why wouldn't you just go for it? And I think there's a, there's a counter school of thought, which is I could, but that's not necessarily what I have bandwidth for or what I want to make bandwidth for, right? If, if maybe I'm in the throes of like a huge project at work, I don't have the same bandwidth to maybe have multiple, you know, even totally yeah. deep friendships, right? It might be like, Hey, right now I'm going to step away from my, you know, Hey friend, you're not going to hear from me as much for the next two months, right? Whatever it is, if you're able to have those conversations, you can really craft whatever works for you. And it doesn't have to shoot somebody else down just to let them know what your life can sustain. I'm going to reverse the roles here and ask you something. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I admit I'm feeling a little uncomfortable right now being so vulnerable. And the reason why is I feel like I so often am such a positive proponent of polyamory and open relationships. And sometimes I feel bad when I'm talking about the missteps and like, but I think people need to hear them too, you know? Mm -hmm. So like when they're encountering similar struggles, they can kind of get some heads up or advice on how to overcome them. And so my question is like, do you, do either of you sometimes feel a little guilt or misgiving when you're revealing parts of the relationship where you struggled more versus where you triumphed. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And we can share a little bit more too, but I think that as I was asking the, after I asked the question about challenges and growth, it occurred to me, I was like, I should have rephrased that to be oftentimes the challenges like often lead to the growth. Right. So, so that's, that's, like we're all human. We're all going to encounter challenges. That's part of it. And we're, we're choosing to go down this path of non-monogamy that brings its own set of challenges. But if we were not doing that, we'd have different challenges. It's just, it's, it's just, is what we're choosing. And so I agree that it is vulnerable and a lot to like talk about the challenges, but I think it's incredibly important because it's real. It's, it's what, it's what we all, I mean, what people go through, whether you're choosing non-monogamy or not, like we're all encountering different challenges in our day-to-day life. Um, and so thank you for, for sharing some of them. It is, I, I think that it is, it can be difficult to, to talk, to talk about, especially if there's yeah. a lot of emotion around some of those, those challenges. But I know for us, what, I mean, we will be the first to admit we've encountered a ton, a ton of challenges. Um, and it's also led to an immense amount of growth. And I would not be the same person I am today if I hadn't. And so it's like, well, I chose that and I wanted to like, I'm, I'm glad to be here. I, I might've chosen to go left instead of right a few different times. <laughs> <walked> <laughs> <away>. <laughs> 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 but but uh, it is what it is. And I'm here. Well, and what you learn sometimes when you turn right instead of left is a lesson you couldn't have learned any other way. Yeah. That, that you, you know, somebody could tell you all day long, Hey, this thing is going to happen if you do this. And you're like, not to me. And then you do, and you're like, well, look at, look at that. It happened to me too. And so there's, there's so much of life, I think, that you, you have to learn through experience. And because not only that, my experience of doing that same thing that somebody else warned me about may be totally different. And so for them, maybe it was a train wreck, and then I did it, and it worked great for me. And so if I had just listened to somebody else tell me, hey, if you, if you go in that room, you're going to have a bad time. And it's like, but maybe I'm not you. 
right? And maybe yeah. if I go in that room, I'll have a great time. And so yeah. there's some element that I like to live based on my own experience, not just at the warning of somebody else with, you know, within reason. Um, but, cool. and I think we all figure out what that level is, but yeah, truly you come out the other end and you're like, well, this was hard and that was hard and this was hard. But at the other side of the hard, there's a lot of beautiful connection and a lot of just a lot of experiences that I don't think we would have any other way if we didn't experience that. And so, yeah, we've, non-monogamy has, has, I don't think it's brought hard stuff into our life. I think. Oh, it has for me. And, and I'm sure, I'm sure in some ways it has, but I think it also has exposed for us places oh, where crass. we were. No, you're good. You're good. You're good. This is hard. I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you were talking anatomically. Hard. Uh, sorry, <laughs> I, it just for, I think for me, the, the view is that it, ex, it exposes things that we were often able to gloss over in our monogamous partnership because it didn't get, it didn't get the light shine shown on it the same way that it would have otherwise. And so it's, it has deepened our connection. It has tested our connection and it hasn't been easy all the time, but we are, we are where we are because of it. And I, I think we've tested ourselves and individually and in our partnership in a way that probably a lot of people never test their partnership to one another. And so I think, and I also yeah. think it's in not necessarily like uh, against non-monogamy or Mm-mm. against polyamory Mm-mm. to talk about the challenges. Yeah. Like that's that's part of the journey. And uh, just like if we were talking about monogamous relationships, there'd be challenges there too. Just different challenges. <laughs> you wouldn't have as many hard things coming into your life. <laughs> <laughs> and then you were like expose things. I'm like, Finn, stop setting me up for goodness sake. That's um, right. Uh, <laughs> no, you're so, you're so right about like, it's, it's the direction, any direction you choose will have its uh, thrills and its challenges for sure. That's just true of anything in life. And I think like, I guess I just, you know, as a queer person to fall into that, like, you know, it's usually meant more in a racial term, but the model minority myth of like, I have to be such a perfect representative of this mm-hmm. group or I'm doing a disservice to the group. Um, and I do think like we have a very fulfilling, happy relationship. And so we are in a way great models of this life, but um, you know, that doesn't mean we have to be perfect all the time. And also what is perfect even. And I completely, completely agree on so many levels, be it, in terms of romance, in terms of career that like I have, I do great with setbacks, put it that way. Like when someone tells me something can't happen, I'm like, great, I'll find 10 other ways to do it. Um, and that's what makes me a strong producer. But like, even on a personal level, yeah, I don't just sort of like experience something unpleasant and then just fall by the wayside. I'm like, okay, well, how am I going to overcome this? How am I going to learn from this? And I think that's, that's life learning from your mistakes and then making new, different, funnier ones that you also learn from. (laughs) Adding in the the comedic relief is important. (laughs) Well, I think there's some very important piece of that is if, if you can take the struggles in life and find the humor in them, it can give you the the ability to keep doing it because if you just look at how something was hard and failed, you're <laughs> like at a certain point, okay, 
challenging that wasn't, that wasn't is, is that. Hard, I'm laughing about the fail. <laughs> <laughs> if you if you only look at the way something is challenging and can fail, then you never you're you're gonna you're gonna stop. I mean, it's gonna be harder to keep taking risks. Yeah. 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 No, I. But to your, yeah, yeah, go for it. Oh no no no! That, I was just agreeing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just gonna say to your point about the like minority of like rep, you have this internal drive of representing something as quote unquote perfect because you want to, I mean, like everyone to understand that this is, this is great and like feel accepted and feel loved and all of like all these natural human desires. And, uh, it can be hard (laughs) to talk about, to talk about the flip side when you're just wanting to paint this picture of like, Hey, everyone, look at how amazing this is because you want to like, you want to show that side and we're proud of that side and admitting challenges in that context. I like, just thank you. I guess my point is thank you for mentioning that part of it, because I think it's really important. Of course. I mean, it's this, it's hardly originated by Instagram, but in a way, this like Instagram way of life of like, I'm only going to post the highlight reel of my life. And then sometimes Mm -hmm. people can get stuck thinking, well, everyone's life is going better than mine. And And that's hard because also I then have known people who are very openly talking about struggles, but then when it's unrelenting difficulty, that projects a different image too. So Mm -hmm. everyone's entitled to, I think, use their social media the way they want. I don't know. I think like I I do prefer to be like positive and excited, but I, I think my answer is maybe I don't talk about like the most vulnerable, difficult things online, but I will also post very simple, happy things like just like, look at me and these pretty flowers. Like not everything has to be profound. Like right now I am posting about the writer strike a lot, but I do want to break that up a little bit with just like my moments of everyday life as well, because, um, you know, I, I, I know people crave variety and variety is what like keeps me happy. <laughs> but, um, yeah, just remembering <laughs> what I, what I care about in life. I, it's so easy to get fixated on one thing and like making open to it has been wonderful, but I've definitely learned a lot about like making sure it occupies uh, a space in my life, but not all the space. Yeah. Yeah. Excuse me. I don't know what's going on with my voice. You're very moved by me. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think maybe too, to, to tie in the, the second sort of piece of the question, which is the, maybe some of the challenges that we come up against, what what have you learned, not necessarily because of them, but just in general, ways that you've seen yourself sort of grow over the last eight years that, that you and Matt have been exploring non-monogamy or even just in your own life, whether it's non-monogamy related or not? So in college, I was very bad at arriving to a relationship and asking for acceptance. Um, there was a sex expert who I heard one time say to date is to be known, not to be liked. And that was not the way I showed up back then. I was like, like me, like me, like me. And like, how can I contort and bend to make them like me? And I think honestly, I don't know if I would have learned that lesson if I were in a monogamous relationship, candidly, like, because I know that I have a very secure, wonderful partner, like, I don't feel desperate for validation from people when I want something to happen. It's because I want it to happen, not because I need it to, or I'll feel very insecure about myself. So, um, I've learned like how to, you know, 
be authentic to myself, not feel like I have to present or like put on a show for anybody to like me that like I can be there as I am and they can say yes or no. And that's fine. And they're allowed to say yes or no, because like you said, like attraction is based on so many different things at a time. Like, in fact, you know, even this week I met someone who like, we really hit it off and he was like, to be honest, I'm looking for something monogamous. So I kind of just want to be friends. And I remember thinking, I have not been told that in a really long time, actually. <laughs> in, in LA, it's like, you know, uh, throw a stone and hit three guys going at it. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> I, and I really admire that about him. And I think it's why we will be good friends because like he was able to create that distinction of like, yeah, I feel something, but like, I'm going to choose not to act on it this time. And I admire that. And I think like, had he just, you know, been like, cool, let's hook up. And then been like, Ooh, bad idea. Like that would have gone worse for him and for me. And, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I really value being true to yourself and being true to others. And I, you know, it really makes me happy when I see that in other people as well. It makes me feel like we're all growing up and maturing and gaining confidence together. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that full circle because as you were talking, I was thinking exactly that, that our, our objectification of everybody earlier in this conversation is the, <laughs> is the perfect setup for this, that we're just like everybody we see may not be our cup of tea. We won't be everybody else's cup of tea. And being able to accept that, I can say for myself, is really hard where you're just like, I, yeah, I want to be liked by everybody. But at a certain point to be able to say like, no, this is me. And that means some people may not be into me in that way or that way or that way, but maybe in another way, maybe it makes me a great, whatever, business person, but not a great partner. And maybe what I need out of that relationship is to be a great business partner, not a romantic partner. And so there's just such a vast array of the ways we can relate to people that I think finding the way that you fit into somebody else's life this example you gave, right? He was looking for somebody monogamous. So you can fit into that life in a different way than if he was looking for an awesome threesome that night. It's just a different way to relate to that same person. Absolutely. My therapist uh, said something to me in a moment of low self-confidence, which has really stuck with me where I was like, just feeling insecure about my physique that day. And I was just like, you know, I don't look like, I was talking about a specific person. I was like, I don't look like that model. And she goes, and Frank, that model doesn't look like you. So like, you know, it's so easy to, yeah, just hold someone up as like the height of, you know, attractiveness of like moral standing of, you know, relationship, you know, solid, solidness, solidity, shoot, it didn't come. But um, yeah, just remembering that we're all going through our struggles, learning and uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, And growing. That's the important thing. You're right. I don't want to just live in the struggle of it, like the growth and Obviously, if this wasn't working, I wouldn't keep doing it. So clearly, like, there have been some fun times had along the way. But as I I say this all the time, but I always think it's funny, which is why I do it. Like, uh, Blanche Dever on Golden Girls one time said, well, the names have been changed to protect the satisfied. So that's how I like to go. I'm not going to be like, hey, you know what, (laughs) like, Elvis and I did the other. That's how you know I'm lying. If I'm like, Matt and I hooked up with a guy named Elvis, that's your first hit. They're like, that didn't happen. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Well, so maybe on the flip side then of rather than just basking in the glow of the hard, damn it, the challenges. (laughs) (laughs) And it was, it was not intentional. So 
what what keeps you coming back? What keeps you coming back to non-monogamy, even though there are challenges and things to overcome? <laughs> well, when it glows, I mean, they should get that checked out, probably. But um, <laughs> no, I would say it's two things. It's like that. It's only made Matt's and my relationship stronger that like we go through periods where like honestly we are more monogamous like certainly covid was that and then Mm -hmm. we go through periods where like we're seeing people more regularly and just that we are always in connection and communication about everything and then like we've met some really wonderful people and like in circumstances you might not not expect like at a you know (laughs) newsy themed party we met someone who like has become a really great friend and it would be so easy to like dismiss things like that and be like oh well the people are there just to hook up and whatever instead of like no you can have like really soulful meaningful connections with people just because you see them naked the first time doesn't mean you're never going to have any depth to your relationship yeah i love that I love that. It's, it, there's been often times where we've been in events like that and we'll just get absorbed in a conversation and, you know, mm-hmm. hours go by and people are like, you know, like this is a, there's a lot of stuff happening here. I'm like, yeah, I'm having <laughs> yeah. a great, I'm having a great conversation. So maybe, <laughs> so I, I can, I can relate to that. Just, I love that. That's our vibe. Honestly, like we, when we go to parties like that, we, we often don't do anything like our like moves, so to speak would be like, we have a great conversation and get someone's number and see them outside of there. Like truthfully. Yeah. So yeah. people are like, you go to sex parties and don't have sex. I'm like, yup. <laughs> Well, it removes the pressure too. That's it. That's it. Like, I think it's so easy for people to set those goals of like, I have to get a number. I have to dance with someone. And then even when you're hooking up, like I have to like orgasm. And it's like removing those like goals just, I don't know, makes life much more easy, fun. And, you know, I've read this plenty of places and experienced it myself of like, when you can say no freely the yes happens a lot more often, be that with having sex or like making friends, like no is not a bad word. In fact, I would say it's better because people are clear on where they stand at that point. Yes. And when someone's able to say no, that makes their yes a lot more trustworthy. Amen. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Like my aunt, whom I love to death is one of my best friends in this world. uh, She will be like, Hey, you look like shit today. But you know what? When she tells me I look great, I know she means it. Versus my mom, I <laughs> love her, will be like, you're my son and I love you and you're always beautiful. And you're like, okay, unreliable narrator. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. The, the, the no, the, the solid no makes you trust the yes. And it also, to your point, I think it creates room for more yeses. If you're saying yes to everything, even the things you don't necessarily want to say yes to, you're closing off time and, and space in your life to say yes to the things you truly do want to say yes to. So I totally get that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. If it's pleasing everyone, it's pleasing no one. Yeah. Did you hear that, Emma? Yeah, I know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this, I know that. This is some of our work. We, we are both on, I mean, we're, we're in the trenches the same as you and same as everybody listening, figuring out how to navigate relationships. And so we, mm-hmm. we just, we just have a different place that we sit in the interview, but it, we're learning the same things and the same tools at the same time. Oh yeah, very much yeah. so. Um, I'm curious too. You know, you. I want to talk a little bit more about um, your show in a minute, but yeah. you, how I guess open and out are you in your life? Because you, he makes TV series, right? You're very open, but like, how is that? Maybe how is that gone? That's, that's the better question. Cause I know you're very open. 
that's a character. Um, no, what's very <laughs> funny actually is like, uh, sometimes showing is better than telling. And I would say like, that's, I've learned that a number of times. Like there were some family members who didn't know I was gay until I started dating Matt. Um, and I guess they'd never heard me speak. Um, and you know, <laughs> just posting pictures of Matt, that was like the coming out, you know, I didn't have to be like, by the way, I'm gay. And also my aunt, God love her is great at like being like, I'll tell everybody. I was like, if you're excited about it. Okay. Um, <laughs> and so similarly, uh, yeah, with making the series, a lot of people kind of like quickly assumed. And so I was mm-hmm. like, okay, fine. Works for me. Um, which is funny because it's like the show isn't autobiographical, but like it amuses me when people assume it is. So like, I'm just yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I, it doesn't matter. I'm like, like people assume my sex position as a result of the show. And I'm like, think what you want. I don't care. It doesn't make a difference to me. Um, <laughs> and relatedly that, uh, yeah, I think it's, you know, I think the people who want to talk to me about it now feel comfortable, which is great because people do feel like I can be an advocate and an ally. Like I joke a lot, but it's true. People will come up to you and be like, Hey, you know, my partner and I were open. And it's almost like, Hey, my partner and I, we voted for Trump. Um, cause they feel like there's something (laughs) shameful about it. But I've had some wonderful connections with people who are either in that type of arrangement or even just contemplating it or know someone who doesn't want to say something. And yeah, that then, you know, people who don't want to talk about it don't. Like, my parents and Matt's parents have seen the show, and they don't ask questions, and that works great. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which I, I love how you frame that of, like, well, of course, the like, the show is characters, right? That's not, um, it's not based on you, as, as you described, but it invites the conversation of that, yeah. because you wrote that, you're like, and so you could have the conversation with someone or at some point too, you and Matt could choose at, you know, to close your relationship and that's perfectly fine too. And so, but Mm -hmm. it invites the conversation of that with others in your life or does not, they like, you're like, you said, your parents, they can, they don't have to ask questions. (laughs) My mom's in a car. She can put two and two together, but um, (laughs) (laughs) well, it lets people know you're a safe space for that conversation, right? You're, you're open. That was my point. that I I just distinctly say. It was perfect. (laughs) And so that's what's like, yeah, on the one hand, sometimes doing interviews and podcasts, like I do, uh, you know, worry like, oh, am I oversharing? But this is also kind of like what I wanted when I started this project. Like it was scary. Like I had never like been on camera, like naked, for instance. So that was like something I wasn't sure I could do. But I have some really great friends, Cam and Karen Lee Potter, who do this podcast, Sex Talk with My Mom, um, which I adore and which really made me comfortable kind of like having conversations around sex. And in a way, like this was what I wanted. I was like, I do want to be an advocate for this lifestyle I enjoy and love and find no shame in. So, Mm -hmm. um, but every now and then being in that role of like being a spokesperson, (laughs) you're just kind of like, oh boy. (laughs) Yeah. I I love that you admitted that it is scary because it is. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's this element of you get sometimes get put up a bit on a pedestal of Mm -hmm. like, well, you're, you're making a film about it or you're making a podcast about it or you're, you have somehow become an, an icon in quotes. So you kind of do, you get put up on that pedestal. Like, well, Frank will never mess up non-monogamy because he made a movie about it. And you're like, well, 
I don't yeah, think that's yeah. quite how it works. <laughs> but you're so yeah. right. Art is advocacy, and I definitely don't believe in making like any kind of content without a message. So, yeah, you're always, I think, going to get questioned and um, you know uh, supported as well. So it's just being open to the whole experience of people who are skeptical, people who want to learn, but people who are excited and people who are really have your back like by and large i would say like this doing this show has opened me up to such a wide range of people i had never like even known before sure in terms of casting crew but just like the base of support like we have like six hundred thousand people who watched the first two episodes as of this recording and people like have such wonderful warm things to say and see themselves in it and like heterosexual people like yourselves like really like can get it from watching even if they don't practice non-monogamy already so i feel very touched that people are able to be empathetic on that level and it does reassure me like in my moments of oh god what have i done to my life being like no like this is this is the right path you're on yeah and even then pulling it full circle once again it's the people who see it and support it and love it those are your people, right? And of course, mm-hmm. it's not going to be for everybody, just just like the other times that we've we've talked about how we're not for everybody and everybody's not for us. The your, your art can be the same. A hundred percent true. Um, I have one. I had a very close friend who doesn't really keep in touch with me anymore, and part of the reason is that um, he and his partner have disagreements about what their relationship should be one really wants a polyamorous lifestyle the other one doesn't i think like making the show being open about it was threatening so Mm -hmm. i'm sad because um i really liked that friend but one of my other friends who i made because of the show was like you know i think you're someone who wants your life to be a crowded party which is great you have a lot of people you like a lot of people you want a lot of people there and sometimes for more people to come to the party some people are going to have to leave the party but mm-hmm. people who are there at the party really want to be there and are happy to be there. And that's the best way to move through life. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. I love that. Would would you be open, and I'm sure you would, to talking a little bit more about Open To It and the, the inspiration behind it and what it sort of what people can expect when they when they find it and tune in? Because we enjoyed it ourselves and we Thank love you. to hear from you. What, what, what was your drive and, and how it's been for you? Oh, I couldn't possibly talk. Well, so anyway, the show, <laughs> <laughs> I think, uh, one of the main inspirations behind it was that I'd seen a number of queer projects where non-monogamy was treated very differently, where it was treated as like this heavy apocalyptic thing where the couple didn't care for one another, where they were using like non-monogamy as like a weapon against each other to act out. And I was just getting a little tired of seeing that because that hasn't been my own experience that I've really, you know, enjoyed my relationship. And there've been a lot of like funny, fun encounters that have occurred. So I just wanted to showcase a different take of like open relationships can be like yeah, they can be funny, they can be lighthearted, they can be sexy, they can be silly, they can be deep, they can be momentous. I just thought that perspective on things was not being showcased. And so I was like, this is the project I believe in that I want to put out into the world. I love it. Yeah. I love it. And so what are people what what are people gonna get when they hunt hunt down the links in our show notes and go watch? 
ass and lots of it. Um, no, so, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the first three episodes uh, right now are at open to it series.com. The first two are free. The third costs three dollars and thirty three cents. Um, but a portion of the proceeds go to the Trans Latina Coalition, um, which is a charity that Laganja Estranja, who's a drag queen from RuPaul's Drag Race in the third episode, really supports and is behind. Um, and they do great work for people. And yeah, I would say what people will experience is like, yeah, they'll experience like, uh, I think, great humor. They'll experience um, sexy, steamy scenes. But you'll also, I think, gain insight to like what polyamory can look like, like ways in which it really goes right, way in which it like goes off the rails sometimes, but ultimately just an ensemble of like largely queer actors playing queer people in queer relationships. And, you know, they're at the end of the day, they're just like us. Mm-hmm. They just have to get laid more. <laughs> yeah, it, it is. Fu- I, we, we had a great time. Yeah. And so yeah, yeah. It's we're, great. we're thrilled you reached out Frank and, and are putting that work out into the world and into our world. Cause we probably wouldn't have found it otherwise. So thank, thank you. you for that. Um, would you would you be open to another question or two that that we could fire at you? Only if it's three, because you know. Okay. <laughs> All right, we'll do three. We'll do three more questions. How about a blooper question? That is one of our favorites, and you seem to maybe have some of those. Maybe have a blooper or two in your in your past. They don't have to be sex related, but just we we use this question to show that that uh, relationships and sex don't always go according to plan, and that we can laugh on the other side of it and um, just enjoy it. Yeah. Well, I will make it both sex and not sex related at the same time. So. For those of for the uninitiated, uh, shooting sex scenes is not sexy. Uh, it's very choreographed. It's like a dance, and you have to like you know redo parts and fake things and just be positioned awkwardly. And like it's it's like it's amusing and entertaining, but I wouldn't say it's like hot. It isn't. Um, but you know we were very lucky to have uh, some awesome people working on it. Like Greg Wolf directed the first three episodes and episode six, which is where the story will hail from. Um, and then our intimacy coordinator, uh, Micah Martinez, just like he comes from a gay porn background. So he's able to like check in with everybody, make people feel very comfortable, but then also be like, it doesn't look like you're inside him in the slightest. Um, so he's good that. <laughs> um, and yeah, just quick thing segue into like if you are doing a project with sex scenes, absolutely must have an intimacy coordinator because they just you know make everyone feel happier and make the scenes look hotter. So it's a win win. Yeah. Um, so in this story in particular, uh, there is a scene in episode six where someone won't say who ends up with uh, cum on their face, and there have been two funny things about that. First of all, the formula for fake cum, which we had to workshop a little bit, but it ended up being. Um, Pina colada mix and water and lube looked the best. So uh, we had that and had it in a dropper. And what we also had to experiment with, which was what's the right amount to put on that character's face. And at first we did only a little bit and it was like, no, that's too little. And then we found the medium amount, which is what we ended up doing. And then at the end, we did the too much amount. And I was like, the person looks like a clown. That's no, come on. We can't <laughs> do that. <laughs> um, but, you know, it was trial and error. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. Thanks for that little behind the scenes. And now, we'll, now we'll all know. Now everybody has to watch episode six. Smart. <laughs> when that comes out. Yeah. When it comes out. <laughs> Ideally during Pride Month. Yeah. Because I got that asked that during the Q&A. They were like, what's the formula for the fake cum? And I was like, I'm just going to preempt this from now on. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Oh, yeah. I love it so much. Um, I'm also. Oh, crap. I had a question. 
dang it, I had a question and then I completely lost it because I got stuck on the fake cum. Um, <laughs> that happens all the time. <laughs> too, um, too much fake cum in your life. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, thank you so much for that. Uh, that fun fake cum story. I'm gonna steer. I'm steer a little bit away from the film, although you can integrate if you want. But I'm. I'm. Feel free to integrate it. I'm curious. You know, you kind of said where your relationship is right now. Do you, um, with Matt, and do you see that changing in the future? I guess. Like, do you have any vision for that? Things, other things, places you want to go, or things you want to try, or not? Well, I guess I'll answer like on the. Uh, you know lusty level and then the loving level on the lusty level um we have experienced uh bathhouses separately in separate countries so you know that feels like a loving couple thing we got to do together sometime um but uh on the loving level um like people have asked before like oh would you ever be in a throuple and like right now i don't see that for us but like i don't know i've seen people navigate that dynamic like in a happy healthy way so like I guess I'm open to the right guy or guys, but like, um, right now I think just our version of we're we're the primary couple and like we have, you know, satellite friendships here and there. I think that that works best for us at the moment, but never say yeah, never. Yeah. yeah. Never say never. You never know. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Thank you. And for those keeping count, question number three is, <laughs> Is is just a very open ended. Is is there anything else that that we haven't asked about that you wanted to make sure uh, to say out into the world today uh, on our platform? We wanted to make sure you had the opportunity. Thank you. Great question. Um, yeah, I think a twofold of like life is short, and like please be passionate about the things you're passionate about and share that with people. Like. You only find your people, I think, when you are transparent about what you care about and energized about it. So, you know, I obviously care about this series. I care about the concept of polyamory being more normalized and non-monogamy. I care about the writer's strike, and these are things I talk about. And related to what you both and I do is, like, I just love art. I love consuming art. I love producing art. And, like, if you have something you're drawn to, find a way to do it, reach out to Emma and Finn, reach out to me at frank.arthur.smith on Instagram. Um, it's hard sometimes. It's hard putting together a team. It's hard finding funding. It's hard doing all of it. But like, if it means something to you and you think it would mean something to other people, like, please find a way to make it happen. They're just there. It's not a scarcity mindset. There can never be enough um, wonderful programming out in this world. I love, I love it. it. Perfect. Yeah. And you said hard more times in that sentence than I did the whole episode. So we're even. We're even. We're even. We're even. I I appreciate it, Frank. Thank you for the delightful conversation, the laughs, and for all the work you do. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much. And have a wonderful day. Hopefully you get out there in the sunshine and make a difference. So thank you. Thank you. Sure will. With a funny slogan at on my sign always. All right. Fourth question. What what are your top two slogans? Um, Okay. So David Zaslav is the uh, CEO of HBO Max, who in 2021 took home $246 million and yet is unwilling to give writers a 2% pay bump. So if you've watched Schitt's Creek, um, one of the main characters, Alexis, sometimes will be skeeved out by her brother and go, ew, David. So the sign says, ew, David Zaslav. Um, With Alexis's face. 
And then the other one I'm proud of, um, I am not a sports fan at all, but I did do baseball back in the day. And so, uh, there've been three writer strikes over history often due to low ball offers. So it says low balls, three strikes. And then it also says I'm gay and I don't like sports, but I'm a writer who loves wordplay. So here this is. (laughs) (laughs) And the, the giveaway is when you say I did baseball back in the day. <laughs> That's oh, how yeah, you know. I did the drugs. <laughs> I did baseball. Wow, you got you caught me. Well done. <laughs> so you're not you're not you're not fooling anyone here, Frank. But I love it. And, and, <laughs> that would be me too. So yeah. And I was like, I was going to be polite and let it go, but you know. <laughs> awesome! Wow, I love, it. I love it. I appreciate it, and yeah, have a wonderful day. And thank you again for sharing everything you did and being here. Thank you both. It, it was a sincere pleasure. And we're back. Thank you, Frank, for the wonderful conversation today and just for sharing everything that you did and for the amazing work that you're doing uh, and encourage everyone out there to go check out the series Open To It. Links are in the show notes. We highly recommend watching it. Yeah, and also links are in the show notes to all the different funds and ways to support the different um the different organizations that are helping fund through the writer strike. And yes. yeah, so please check those links out as well and do what you can. Yeah, go support that in whatever way possible. Yes. A few reminders that you can go to our website, normalizingnonmonogamy.com, find out information about the community there, as well as the new weekly groups that we are launching, and check out our favorite uh, affiliate, stdcheck.com check them out. (laughs) We will see you all next week with another fantastic interview. We're super excited about this one, as we are every week. This is with Jolie Hamilton and her husband, Ken. Those names might ring a bell. If not, they'll ring a bell after next week. It's a beautiful conversation. It's amazing. You're going to want to come back and listen. Yes. And (laughs) until then, remember to go watch Open To It on repeat. Let us know what you think. Let us know what you think. Send send Frank an email. Let him know what you think. Yes. Yes. All right. We'll see everybody in a week. Bye, everyone. Thanks for listening.